The Thrivecast is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to helping accounting professionals save time and grow their practice. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program, you can truly boost your efficiencies, collaborate with clients, and play a pivotal role in fueling their success. Follow the link in the show notes to find out more. Okay, welcome to the Thrivecast. Yeah, we're yeah. we're on one this morning. Buckle up, people. This is going to be That's right because we were just screwing around so hard, and, and uh, we're hoping Shane, our audio engineer, cut out what just was recorded. <laughs> he's be- we're praying he did cut he, out. He better he better have. Uh, but yeah, we're we're just nickname uh, nickname machines, and uh, welcome to the to the to the TC with Jay Plums and Big Greg. Uh, <laughs> the name of his TC. So this we're going. We got Greg Crabtree. He's a CPA. Runs a CPA firm. Wrote a book. One yeah. one of my favorite books that we have stolen a lot from in our firm. Yeah. Uh, that we teach on uh, simple numbers. Um, straight talk, big profits. Gr- everybody needs to read that book. Yeah, yeah. So practical. And we're gonna we're you're gonna find out how practical it is. Um, and we we want to anyway. That's coming. We got announcements. We got to tell people stuff. Great. Right? Well, and this is kind of a well. This is a big deal. There's a big thing going on right now. If you listen right. to the last Thrivecast. We and you may have spaced this out, and this may be a good reminder because in the last Thrivecast we mentioned that if you download the new growth guide that's available at dw.thrival.com, correct? Download that during the month of September that your name goes into a hat for a drawing for a free admission, one free ticket to Deeper Weekend 2019. That's right. So. I'm going to be pulling a name out of a hat on September 30th, Facebook Live Monday at 2 p.m. I'm going to pull a name. Probably it's a digital hat. Yeah. Not a real hat. Yeah. (laughs) I'll pull the name out of a digital hat, Uh and I will say the name of that person who won, that signed up for the growth guide, September 1 through September 30th. And the Facebook Facebook Live is 2 p.m. Right. On September 30th. Mm-hmm. So that actually means that if you if you download the the growth guide at 3 p.m. on September 30th, you're too late. Right. And so yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast you're listening to right now, yes, you person that's listening, you. Yeah, earbuds. You with you with the earbuds in. If you're listening, you may be out. Because if you're listening four or five days after this podcast dropped, guess what? You lost. Yeah. Too <laughs> That's That seemed a little aggressive. Oh, it's, that was. It's almost okay. like, sorry. I mean, that sucks for you. Soften that up for me. Yeah. Hey, hey there, AirPods. What's going on? Thanks for listening. Um, but maybe you put this in the hopper and you didn't get till till uh, October 1. Oh, shucks. Man, oh, dang. Uh, but your friends are cool, and they might have. <laughs> that was softer, softer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so if you, so if you're listening to this podcast and it just dropped, go hurry, fill out your yeah. name in the yeah. growth guide. But if you're listening to this podcast six days after it dropped, you might be too late. 
it yeah and we're yeah. sad for that yeah. but that's okay but that's but okay. but that's the other thing i mean you had a chance to win a free ticket but you you want to come anyway so you still go go and sign up for deeper weekend oh, yeah. Yeah. nonetheless and actually that's kind of the funny thing is it's sort of like people you sort of figure everybody who did that to get their name in the hat they want to come anyway so go go get go buy your ticket go buy your that's ticket. right yeah so okay. it's time so we have Greg Crabtree. Actually, the book, I may have said the book name wrong. It's Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Numbers. Big no, Profits. Big Profits. Straight Talk, Big Profits. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I love this book a lot. <laughs> simple, actually, simple, straight, big, numbers, talk, profits. <laughs> I do I do love this book a lot. I just can't re- always remember the title, but it is, it's pretty well-worn because we've used it. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about that. Um, and there's so much, there's so many labor productivity metrics we've pulled out of that. We've stuck it onto, um, we've revamped a PL for our clients. Uh-huh. We've squished our PL down to about 10 lines. Awesome. Which That's is what, what it do. should be. Yeah. Should. And like every, you know, every client you get, their chart of accounts is a bajillion long. Yeah. We squish it into 10 lines. And when you squish, what we do is we sandwich this PL like, like, Somebody's on the bottom and I'm sitting on the top of the PL and we and my fat butt squishes it down to about 10 lines. Uh-huh. You know what squeezes out? What? All the issues and the problems the company's having squeeze out. They pop out some of the lines because you've consolidated it when it's so large and so long. Right. Um, <clears throat> you don't see a lot of the issues, but squishing it down. So we had to run it through like a product, you can run it through a product like Fathom. Okay. And then we stuck a lot of these labor metrics on there uh-huh. that start to really pull just some of these lines out, divide them by each other, and really right. start giving targets right. for what they should be achieving. And man, the clients love this stuff. Awesome. Well, and that's the thing. So let's so let's even preface this whole thing because you and I were talking before the podcast that a lot of what we're doing, this stuff, this stuff is, is applicable to to uh to an accountant who's who owns their own firm you can you can apply this to True. your own firm but we're also going hey if you're wanting to go do some consulting some coaching this yes. is some great stuff oh like, good stuff because because la- i mean talking about deeper weekend last year deeper weekend all about coaching go out and coach and right. but and and you're you know the thing you always say it's like go like go sell it and then figure out what to do That's after right. you sell it this is a great way of oh, going yeah. oh here's some stuff i can apply immediately to my coaching consulting clients that I have, boom, yep. let's do this. So, yep. and, and that's what you do. And, and do you go right through the four, the four keys? Uh, how, no, how close do you go to this book? Well, no, it's not, it's not close. Basically what we did in our firm is we, first thing we did is we established the 16 Blummer client financial principles. Okay. So there are some principles we teach our team that, these are the things that you need to be thinking about when you're doing financial presentations. We want to teach our team kind of that's a process of teaching them advisory. And, and then we gave them this tool and some of those principles basically say anytime you never show numbers by themselves, you always show them beside something else. So, so numbers make more sense in context. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Gosh, I'd say they make that. no they make no sense without context. That's true, right? So, but but you know you don't think about it. A lot of people probably still pull up the the P and L on their QuickBooks online, and there's just one column. Always add another column. Okay. Uh, you know, add, add a 
but you know, at a budget, which you know, Greg Crabtree, he busts on budgets. We're right. gonna see. Uh, right. But add a budget, add last year, add last year, same time, add the future forecast, add something beside it. So you can go, why is that not that? Or when you compare those two, what right. context do you learn? Gotcha. Um, and so what we always do is we bump our numbers for our clients up against <clears throat> what we would call our uh, targets, agency targets, because we work with digital agencies. Right. We right, would right, say, right. here's a general percentage target. Okay. And so we're always bumping their actual numbers up against what we're saying is kind of a target. And that that target comes from Greg Crabtree's book. The target is always a minimum of a 10% profitability. Right. And if you right. do that, so you got your revenue, you back into that 10% profitability. You've only got 90% to spread out through the rest of those 10 lines. Man, stuff shows up. And right. of course, for service it's, companies, it's, it's always in the labor. And it's 10%. 10% we're talking, your profit needs to be at least 10% of your gross revenue. That's what yeah. you're... That's, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of... Again, context. It. 10% of what? Yeah. 10% right. of, of gross revenue. Yeah, that's right. 10% of gross revenue. Now, he says, yeah, he says 5% or less pre-tax, pre-tax profit means your business is on life support. Right. 10%, he calls that the new break-even. Right. If you're not at 10%, you're, you're not even, you got to scramble it. Well, and, and this is what we tell our clients. 10% is a minimum level of health. Mm-hmm. That, that that's like minimum yeah. less than that. You're on life support. 15% is you have a great business, 15% right. profitability. Well, even to the point, cause this is some of the stuff that I, that I got like between the lines from Crabtree's stuff is it's like, if you're at 15%, that's actually a good indicator that it's time for you to grow, that it's time, it's time yeah. for you to, to, to take that risk because you've got a 5%, you know, uh, oh, cool. uh, safety net of net profit that you can, you can die. You can make some new capital acquisitions. You can hire some new people who may not be able to turn that around to profits immediately, but you're going to be investing them. Is that, how, what do you, is that how you go about that too? What do you think? Well, that? Yeah, that, no, that's, um, yeah, Julie and I are, we're pretty committed to saving cash. Uh-huh. Um, and because that allows us to do investment in team. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, when we get, when we get up in those 15%, we're, we're typically keeping that cash. Okay. And, and what that's allowing right. us to do is invest. And I think Greg Crabtree says it in okay. a management team. Okay. Gotcha. Cause as you grow, that's what you start doing. You start investing in people that mm-hmm. start leading and helping you lead the team as, as right. owners. Okay. Gotcha. We, yeah. We've just made some of those moves in our firm to invest in right. new managers. Gotcha. We have three in our firm. Uh, at a at a size of thirteen, mm-hmm. and that re- though they really add a lot. That is a huge investment, man. That drives such such value to a firm when you have managers that are leading the way the right. owners are. Right, right, right. Gotcha. So, okay, so so back to the so if we, if we're so what's the first thing if you're using this kind of this kind of model and you go out to a new client. Uh, or, you know, you're working up a new engagement. What are some of the first things you're going over from the Greg Crabtree stuff with your client? Is it that, I mean, let's say you, you explain, Hey, we need to get you to 10% profitability. If they're not there, cause you've got startups who aren't going to be at 10%. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. 
because and he talks a lot about that where it's like you're you you know that he there's something he calls a black hole which is like yeah 1.5 million in revenue to 3 million in revenue is like that's what he sees as being like the dangers zone or whatever <laughs> so where it's like if you can if you can survive that jump from 1.5 to 3 you you're good cuz you're probably going to die in <laughs> in that growth well, area you know, we, yeah we we consult with we consult with agencies that get in those areas and they really get in trouble and i i think what what really happens is yeah that revenue is just a it's just a reflection of you know how much growth you've experienced. But what right. you do is you're bringing on so many team, like mm-hmm. you're not keeping your metrics in line, and people start investing in too much team. But mm-hmm. and if you if you don't get labor costs right, it'll eat your shorts. Okay. Well, and he talks a ton about that. Let's talk about labor costs. How do you get? How do you get your clients to get labor costs right? Because he's got a metric, and I'm going to say most accountants, it's not a standard metric that he uses in here because it's what is gross profit per direct labor hour and i I don't think i remember like reviewing that uh ratio for the you know for the bec portion of the (laughs) exam no no i think i think what our metric does that we've and i think it's his is it it gets labor and it divides it by gross margin which is you know okay. revenue minus cost of services, right? Then it, it divides those and it comes up with an efficiency metric, right? Now right. what we do then is we bump that against the target metric, and the target metric is always what if you were running a ten percent margin? What if you were running that? Uh huh. Because you know that's the minimum level of health, right? So we calculate a target too, which is kind of. We back into that because we assume the company's making a 10% profit. Uh, okay. And then we get the labor that you can only spend, only the labor uh, you could spend. Because that's the thing. Uh, that's the thing. It, if you assume you're making a 10% profit, then there's only so much labor you can spend, which he calls right. your salary cap metric. Right. Gotcha. So if you get the salary cap metric, the one you're capped at, you can't spend more than and divide that by the gross right. margin. Gotcha. Then, then you have the target, which says you need to be 2.3 efficient, which means every labor dollar you spend needs to produce 2.3 times that in gross margin dollar. Okay. Gotcha. No, no, no. That, that, that That, makes good, that makes good sense. And then you show them what they're doing. And if they're producing only 1.5 level of efficiency, meaning for every dollar you pay your team, they're only producing 1.5 dollars in gross margin which is not going to get you to your 10 percent profitability Uh, now but you could say your labor's too high right or but here's what you do you go maybe it's not and through coaching we find out their prices are too low the problems in the revenue right or we find out their team is inefficient and the production of gross margin from the team Mm-hmm. They're actually screwing around and getting distracted. They're an inefficient team. Right. The labor efficiency metric shows you that your team is not efficiently producing revenue for right. you. Right. And so that and so it could be in a, a couple of major areas. You have to coach them. You don't just say you got you're paying people too much money. Uh-huh. Actually, that may be it. Right. It could be, but it may be one of three or four big things. You just right. have to. And when you find it out, bam, you solve the problem. You start working on it the next year. Right. Well, and you can and you can approach them with all those things going, well, maybe you're paying your people too much. Maybe your people are screwing around. 
around too That's much. Right. Maybe your prices are wrong. Let's start analyzing all those things. And That's are there right. ways, you know, those are three different dials that you can turn. That's uh, right. You know, yep. and, so yeah, that's that's pretty great, and those are and that's all number stuff that yep. that, that we're good at. Where it's like we can but, we can figure out your your pre tax profit and go. You're not at ten, and then go you know figure out your salary cap. That's pretty cool way to back into a salary cap too. Going, you can't pay people more than this. Yeah, you're gonna miss your ten percent. Yeah, so, the, yeah. The salary cap metric is pretty cool. It's separate, and it basically says. You're capped at this much labor salary. You you, uh-huh. you just don't get to spend more than this if right. you want to make a ten percent profitability. Yeah, it, and if Greg Crabtree's right, if ten percent is a bottom line profitability health target, mm-hmm. then you got to start asking yourself, well, what am I doing wrong, or or or, or can I do it? Like, because I don't know. Maybe we could ask Greg. Construction industries they they're not high margin, so. Right. Are they also 10%? I don't know. And is manufacturing? Can't manufacturing be a 10%? Right. I don't know those industries. Right. Yeah, it could change from industry to industry. Doesn't, does he say specific? I think it seems like the examples I saw him say, he's specifically talking about service industries when he's talking about 10%. I think in his some of the assumptions that he'd bring up. But yeah, that's a good question. Let's ask him about that. Okay. Different that's- industries... Because, because people listening to this are going to have different niches. Like That's if true. you're if you're in the restaurant business, your oh, yeah. your margins are probably going to be different than if you're yeah. consulting with you know con- computer software companies. That's that true. Kind of yeah. Thing. So so well, yeah that, yeah we should ask him that. So because I'm not I'm not sure, but it, it really works for our our service client. Right. Okay. So then how do you deal with this? Cause one of the things that seemed, and this is where, this is where the stuff I read started is he, he would say, okay, wait a second owner. You might think that you're being profitable, but you're not because you're not paying yourself anything. That's right. And, and, and at first I was like, Oh, wait a second. I don't get it. And then I was like, Oh yeah. Cause if you go in, you know, if you're, if you walk into like some networking meeting and go, what's up, how's it going? What's your, uh, what's your, what's your EBITDA? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, or what's, you know, what's your, your, uh, profit before tax percent. And, and they're like, Oh, I got 10%. Oh, nice. And the next guy's going, oh, I'm 15%. And you go, dude, I'm busting 30%, bro. <laughs> but it's but you're not paying yourself anything. It's like, oh yeah, that's your you're kind of, it's it's almost like cooking your own books to make yourself feel better about your business that you shouldn't feel so good about. That's right. Yeah, and we've had we've had clients hit those margins. Uh-huh. We've and what's happening is they were paying themselves really good wages. Okay. But what they weren't doing, here's what they weren't doing uh-huh. is this is weird. We had to teach our team possibly 30% margins are too high. And why might that be? Because the owner was swallowed up and consumed by the business. What were they dealing with? They were dealing with the fear of not delegating to a team that's meant to assist them at that pace of growth. They were so scared. They're they're willing to work 90 hours a week. And that's not how you grow and scale. So their margins showed 30%. But that... (laughs) But 10 of that should have been carved off and invested right. in a new team. 
Right. It's like, so it's like, it's like, so what are you, what, what are you paying yourself for your salary owner? It's like, dude, 150 K a year, right. bro. And then it's like, Oh, how many hours are you working? A hundred hours a week, bro. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, so really you're two and a half people. So let's take 150,000. There you go. By two and a half. Oh, you're an intern. You're paying yourself <laughs> intern wages. <laughs> See, so. that's right. And so, but I mean, that's, and that's what all of our clients deal with. They deal with these emotional, personal things. And we like, and that's one of our Blummer client financial principles is that numbers are just fallouts of the behaviors of owners. We, right. we said that at Deeper Weekend. It's like when you're looking at a PL, this is just a historical documentation of all the beliefs and the behaviors, those yeah. owners. It just all fell out in money. Right. And you can find out. I see how you're behaving because of what your labor metrics show. Right. Gotcha. And if you consistently are not within your target of labor efficiency, a lot of times we find you're letting your team run your company. They're like, I don't want to, I don't want to do things efficiently. I want to go to a coffee shop and which is fine. But if you allow them to lead, then what you find is they, they struggle to be efficient. You don't hold them to some efficiency. Right. You know, uh, there's a lot of, and then, you know, that's a fear and an owner. Anyway, there's just okay. all kind of well, behavior. But, but, okay, let's, let's bring it back around to that. So this labor efficiency metric. So again, so tell, so tell me, I mean, I guess you can, you know, obviously we'll have links to, to Greg's stuff in the show notes. People can go there. Um, but so, so you're saying you take gross profit, you divide it by your direct labor costs. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah. Uh, dr- yeah. Labor divided by gross profit are you right? sure it should be the other way around because you're you want to know how much <laughs> yeah, gross because if you want to know how much gross profit per labor hour you're you're making you're going right. gross profit divided by by the the labor the direct labor <laughs> which one is the denominator Great. i used to be eighth grade math teacher so listen <laughs> this is how you do it plumber okay gross no, profit. shut up it's gross profit. We <laughs> are in teach. Ter- this we're in your territory shut up, shut up jimmy Listen, I, Jimmy, I know a numerator when I've seen one. <laughs> Shut your face and go to the principal's office. Jimmy, I know a numer I know a numerator, Jimmy. Damn it. Uh so okay, so okay, tell me how that okay. metric works. But, and you're saying okay, so gross profit divided by direct labor, you're you're saying you're wanting to be at like a two point three, but that probably that probably uh, varies from client to client depending on oh, yeah. where you want to be at. But whatever that, so you kind of figure out here's where you want to be for your your uh, and and whatever that what what does he call that ratio? The labor efficiency labor efficiency metric. metric. Okay, yep. and, and then but the, then okay, the so it, metric. So it's low. So what do you do? Because one of because obviously if it, it, before we were talking about that salary cap idea, where it's That's like right. if you want a ten percent profitability, here's your salary cap. If you're over your salary cap, there's obviously things you can do. You can fire people. You can make more, generate more revenue that yep. would increase your salary cap. There's things like that you can do. But what if your labor productivity metric is low? How do you make your people more efficient? What's it yeah. like if you got a client that just goes, no, I, I've got, I've, I, 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 I have inefficient people. Is it like, Hey, Hey, no more Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's no, that's hard. The, the, yeah, but no, absolutely. First, the first thing you do is you report accurately. So the client knows so that's the first step. Mm-hmm. Help them know what's the issue. Right. 
that and that clarity alone just opens the eyes of your client. Okay. They're very excited about that. Um, but it's going to take okay. another. It's going to take another year to help them create efficiency. That's hard. That's yeah. that's leader. Those are leadership skills. Okay. Now here, there's a lot of okay. things that can create efficiency. Okay. So okay. Um, so do you? So it's leader. It's leader directed efficiency. You're not oh, going to go to your oh, team yeah. and you're going to go, hey guys, you're not being efficient enough. No. Be more efficient. No. The leader's no. got to go. Hey, here's what we're doing. We're going to implement this new this so, uh, oh, yeah. kind of software that's going to that's going to oh, yeah. some tasks yeah well okay well i mean there 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 are tons of things you can do to create efficiency now and the 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 other side of that is there's a lot of things you're doing to create inefficiency in your team as a leader and the, wait did you say that you're there's a lot of things as a leader you're doing that create inefficiency yes that you're kicking the legs out of the efficiency yes meaning meetings now, it could be a lot of things. Well, one thing that hits it's me top meetings. <laughs> what? Well, not always. It can be. No, it can be. But right. see, that's going to be that's where you're coaching the owner. Each owner is going to be different. One, okay. yeah. One won't shut their face in a meeting, and oh. everybody's rolling their eyes, and they're oh. like, "This guy won't shut his face." Okay. And have I, so, have I have I told you the story? That was my old boss at work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This guy, he like honest to goodness, he just liked having people around to hear him. He was like, I think they call it like someone who's like an external processor, like they need to talk stuff through with somebody. And I was his guy. And and literally, there were days where I would sit in his office in front of his desk for six hours. Six hours. <laughs> no. And he'd be talking about all the problems. And I'd be like going, dude, there are no magic elves and fairies that come out after we go to sleep to do all this work that we're talking about. You've got to <laughs> let me out of here so I can actually do something about all this crap we're talking about. He, he was... He was- he was totally blowing the labor efficiency it's metric. Totally blowing it. Totally. Big time. Yeah. And and other things. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. Six other, hours. No the way, way. The only way I got through, they were paying me hourly at that time. And I was just going, well, I guess if this is what you want to pay me for, <laughs> for <laughs> cool. So if it were, if I was salary, I would have lost my damn mind. <laughs> Lost my. You would have. Mind. You would have gone across that desk like I would have flipped it first. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, that's the, one the, possibility. The, <laughs> that's one possibility. <laughs> the owners lead the efficiency because because the team the the team want to do things the way they want to do it. Right. That's what team do. That's now, what they're not. Do. They're not being mad. They're not being mean. They're not being rude. Your team comes in and they want to work the way they want to work. Mm-hmm. A leader's goal is to help them work the way the firm works. Mm-hmm. Everybody works in the same. Everybody's in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. That's what right. creates efficiency. Yeah. So what a lot of owners are not doing is they're not being clear about the roles their team hold. They're not clear about what each role oh. does. There's a lot of there's a lot, so there's which basically means they're not handing out uh, accurate um, titles and job descriptions. Right. That okay. create the confusion creates inefficiency, and right. cl- but you know what? Team don't always like a clear leader. So there you go. Because wait, you know, wait, what? Oh, you don't think 
You're yeah. not going to be fun, boss. Uh-uh. Wait, no, no, no. I, I would. Are you sure? I say everybody wants a clear leader. I uh, want to. I want clear expectations of me as an employee. Tell me what. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it rad. Let, and if, and if, if if it's if it's unclear, I think that's when people start getting getting angsty because well, they're going, I don't know how to do a good job because they won't tell me what the job is. Well, yeah, that could be. Here's let's say it this way. People want clarity. They don't want what clarity means. Right. Well, okay. And, oh. the, and the weird thing is what I just, people want clarity, but they don't want what clarity means. Let's not, let's not get far from that. But I'm also like, there's echoes of Peter Block from last time yeah. where he, it almost seemed like he was saying in order to create leaders in your firm, you don't want to give all the clarity because if you're giving it, that's a command and control kind of situation. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's what he meant. I don't know. I don't, if that's yeah. What, I don't think it's yeah. a lack of clarity. No, being super clear is the best thing always. I don't think, I think that's so ever wrong. Yeah. But I think a team member can look at their boss and go, we would love more clarity. What they may not like is what the clarity. Okay. They may not like the accountability that a right. clarity calls them to. They yes. get then they're going, you mean I can't screw around on a two hour lunch? No. Right. Because your right. job is so clear now, you are fully accountable. Right. You or, are a team member. Right. Or part of my responsibilities include things that I'm not super stoked about. That's right. It's like, oh, I have to, oh, you want me to, you want me to put all this data into this thing so that we have, so we're accumulating business intelligence right. along the way. Uh, that's boring. I hate that. Right. It's like, Oh, but you, that's what you got to do. Or, or so, here, yeah, this, this you. may happen. Let's say you move from a, an unclear, chaotic environment running your business mm-hmm. and it comes clear. Yeah. What's going to happen is probably the, a team member's probably going to go, wait, you're saying I'm doing more work for the same pay. Yep. Right. Yeah. Actually, no, what I'm saying is I always meant you to do that. I was just never <laughs> clear about it. Now right. you don't like what it means. Right. I've always wanted you to be doing that stuff, which is yeah. why we fight and you have crappy performance reviews. Right. And I'm clear. No, it ain't giving you a raise. It's saying now you're doing what I've always intended you to do. I was yeah. just a sucky leader because I was never clear enough for you to know what you should be doing. And you know what? That, mm, that, causes problems but you know what it does do it creates what? some efficiency yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. now everybody knows what's on their plate it's right. like you no know, you're supposed to go do it and you get to now talk about it why right. aren't you doing the things on your plate right now i also have to say the too and again echoes of peter block is you have to you have as a leader when you're implementing these efficiencies you got to be you have to have the humility as a leader to accept the feedback from your group as you're True. trying to implement efficiencies because it is because they're the ones doing the work and it may indeed be too much for them that, you may be asking so too much and if that's the case, because then you're not creating efficiencies, you're creating a sweatshop. That's and, right. And nobody True. wants to work in a sweatshop. So then it comes back to you as a leader to go, I'm asking a whole lot more of these people that I always wanted them to do it. But now that they're doing it, oh, it is pretty burdensome for them. What can I do? What, yeah. what can we do systematically, systemically to help create efficiencies so they can do all that stuff I want and I'm not killing them? Right. And so, yeah, leadership is a balance. Yeah. 
it is it is a balance um yeah. and and, and he, that, that's and hard talks, this is hard stuff yeah and he talks about greg, greg crabtree talks about that too where he's like he's like you don't want your labor efficiency to you know kind of like what you're saying with your gross your uh your profit before tax margin it's like if that's too big that could also be a problem and he kind of says that with the labor efficiency where it's like you don't you know if you're shooting for a 2.3 and you're at 7.7 it's kind of like wait a second what are you what are you what are you doing because you're gonna are you burning your people out and they're quitting all the time because you're you're paying because you're paying an accountant minimum wage that's not you're not gonna you're either going to get bad people or you're not going to keep people. That's right. You're paying. That's, that's the that's the beauty of these metrics, though. They what they show is uh, they show anomalies, right? They if yeah. you if you bump them up against a target or something mm-hmm. they should be, then right. you, then you can judge the actual number against the target and go, why right. are those different? Maybe it should right. be higher. Maybe it should be lower. Yeah. But at least it lets us ask the right questions. Yeah. Why is the labor line look wrong? Right. And I like that you say target rather than benchmark because because be, whenever we talk about benchmarks, that usually is something that's like, well, in this industry, the typical benchmark based on the highest performing groups are blah, blah, blah. But yeah. but you're but everybody's company's unique. Right. So, so a tar to me, a target seems something that's more custom tailored to yeah. specific clients needs rather than a, ben- and obviously you probably want to start with benchmarks and move that, customize those to the target for the, the client. But at the same time, I, I kind of, I kind of recoil a little bit from benchmarks yeah. because if you're blindly, if you just found benchmarks that somebody published for an industry start there, but that's not, that's not necessarily right. going to be the best thing for your client. all the Cause time. that's leading down the road of best practices, which is, which what's best for one company is just not going to be best for another right. one because right. they're all they're all human led. They're they're led right. by creative individuals, and you right. have to give leeway to that. Yeah. Well, and the whole idea that you know, from a strategy perspective, you want to differentiate yourself somehow. So if you're just going, oh, we're doing exactly what everybody else is doing at the exact same metrics that they're doing, and we're That's killing true. it. It's like, no, you're you're so boring. Nobody cares about you. That's right, and nobody even knows you exist. You look exactly identical right. to every. Do, everything else. If you're doing something different, your metrics won't won't fall in line, right? And you can be wildly successful uh, while doing that. So yeah. that was okay. that's if we want to talk about me being a teacher, that was one thing that was frustrating as a teacher. Where they go, well, the most effective teachers do blah blah blah, and it's like, well, I'm not that guy. I'm you know right. I, I I'm a unique individual who teaches things in a specific way. So if you go, oh, this guy got great results, and that's because he does a skit with a funny hat at the beginning of every class. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not going to put on a rabbit head and hop <laughs> around the class to tell people about common denominators. That's not who you got here. That's awesome. <laughs> Nobody did that, did they? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> tell me that's not a real story. That's not a real story. Okay, I would but love I, it. But I'm sure that there's a teacher that that's wild. Yeah. Anyways, but that yeah, just a, that's a, that's more just an illustration that benchmarks okay. can suck. Where it's like, don't take an example of one person that's successful and try to make everybody be like that. That's true. The other people will not. That's be right. Successful. Okay, so we have to get Greg Crap. Oh dang, dang. we blabbed, man. Dude, we went off on a tangent. Was that? Was that helpful? 
It was. It has it to be. It was so good. Okay. I guess it has to be. But yeah, we got to shut up and get Craig. Crouch okay. together, Craig. All right. So shut up. Get him. Get him. Hey, hey, this is Jason Blummer, and we want to thank our sponsor, Bill.com, a platform we've been using for many years to run our firm's own virtual AP and AR experience for our clients, too. And as is common with Bill.com, they've raised the bar on AP innovation again, and they have a new AI-enabled platform. It offers a sweet new user experience. You'll see it's redesigned, easier to find buttons, more compact. And, of course, they got international payments. We love Bill.com. Bill.com, thanks for sponsoring the Thrivecast. We are so excited. Greg Kite, I think you and who knows if we screwed up the the first part of our recording. So we're going to have Greg Crabtree come in now and correct all of the things we got wrong when we were discussing labor metrics. So, Greg Crabtree, thanks for being on the podcast with us. We're excited to have you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Right. So, so just to start off, two quick questions. The first off, the labor efficiency metric, it's, it's gross margin <laughs> divided by direct labor hours, right? Direct labor dollars. Direct dollars. labor dollars. Okay. Yes. So we were, me and Jason, we had a knockdown drag out about what the numerator <laughs> and denominator were for that. Yeah. And, and I, I win. I win. I think it's. I think it's pretty important to get get yeah. divided accurately. I, and, and 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 here's. I mean, and you make a good point because there are people who do look at the hours. But I, here's the thing: no hours are not a constant measure of value. A dollar is a dollar. Yeah. And, and so that's the reason why we chose you know direct labor dollars. Yes. You know, as the denominator, and then the idea. So when you're looking at these, uh, the the LER labor efficiency ratio, it is the idea is what is the output. To that dollar of input. I mean, mm. that, and that's the reason why, I mean, we've just flipped the formula around and not look at it as a percentage, which is a reductive mindset. I'm looking at it as a lever mindset of saying for every dollar of input, here's what the output should be. Right. And when it's not producing to that level of horsepower, I, I got to go back and fix something. Mm. Right. This gotcha. is good. So, so Greg, your, your book, your book has just, uh, been amazing it's just so it is so in the trenches tactical and and i think it when i read the book years ago it's like this is all the stuff i think cpa firm owners think they're supposed to know but none of them actually know right (laughs) so i'm just going to ask you some tactical questions about how to use some of those tools because they are the book is crammed full of tools yeah and how to use those for their entrepreneurial clients yeah absolutely all right far away Okay, here we go. All right, so hit it, hit it, Jason. All right, so this is the one Greg and I were talking about. Um, why is it important to find that labor efficiency metric? What what even is that thing, and yeah. how, what does that tell you about your workforce and the lever of moving that up and down? Yeah. So, so one thing I will say is in the original book, I refer to labor efficiency ratio as an overall labor productivity metric, which is still valid mm. and much more valid from a, you know, 2 million and under size revenue business because you have a, a blended labor structure of people doing direct and people doing management and, and CPA firms. I mean, even in my own firm, I mean, I'm the CEO of the firm. I'm considered direct labor in our firm mm. because still roughly 40, 50% of my time is still client facing. Mm. So the idea is, you know, the key is don't fractionalize people. Yeah, I call it a butt in a bucket. You know, you're <laughs> either all direct or you're all management. And yeah, you may bill some, you may not bill at all. But at the end of the day, just be consistent in terms. 
because okay. the, the way I've been describing labor efficiency ratio, it goes back to uh, 1950s. Uh, it was widely believed that no human could run a four-minute mile. Mm. And so until Roger Bannister did it. Now, the way Roger Bannister did it was he had two runners run half the race with him as pacers. And so labor efficiency ratio is a pacing mechanism because, you know, talking to the accounting audience, we, we, our, our issues aren't any different than every other productive business sure. that uses labor. Yeah. Can we keep a consistent level of output? Now, you know, one of the prime things of reason why we say gross margin, you know, any businesses that have materials, cogs, subcontractors, we want to filter those things out because gross margin is the true economic top line of my business. Right. And, and so ultimately, the idea is the reason why we never mix labor with something that's not labor is labor has a variable output motor. It does not come to work with the same attitude and output capability every no. day. And, and if I don't measure that, if I don't pace it, if I don't give it a mechanism for constant output, it will not natively perform to that level. You're saying it needs a target to pace it. To help the owner go, hey guys, we're we're dropping our pace. Let's get that back up. It's a it's a leadership tool to say we're, right. we're dropping below our metric. Yeah. So one thing I will point people to that's good, um, you know, printed material on this. That's kind of the next level that I couldn't put in the first book. So I I, I wrote a chapter for Vern Harness's book, Scaling Up, and in chapter thirteen is my chapter. Mm-hmm. And then there, I actually. I didn't have quite the research at the time I wrote the first book to split the analysis between direct and management. And in, at the time that I, I wrote the chapter for Scaling Up, I was able to add some of that in his book. And so if you go read chapter 13 in, in that book, that'll, that'll give you a broader picture of how we, we teach labor efficiency ratio in, in today's world. And, you know, spoiler alert, uh, by end of October, early November, Simple Numbers 2.0, Rules for Elite Profit and Cash Flow will come out. And Ooh. I've got a dedicated chapter on really a deep dive on labor efficiency, um, you know, strategies and how to use it and case studies on, you know, how people use it to transform their business. Right. Well, and quick, quick, quick. I mean, while we're on that topic, just for a plug for that book, this this uh, podcast is dropping at the end of September of 2019. So at that point, I'm imagining people could probably pre-order your book at that point. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll have to take a look at that and see. Uh, I should be far enough along. I've actually only got like three fourths of the last chapter to finish writing. My editors edited everything up to this point that I've written. And so now we're down into layout and, and design and, and those right. things. So, gotcha. so yeah, we're pretty much on pace, uh, you know, to do that. So yeah, yeah, uh, well, cool. I'll, I'll I'll try to make sure that uh, I'll let you know where we stand on that. Okay, okay. nice. We'll put a link. We can put a link in the show notes for that yeah. too. Perfect. So, so, perfect. So Greg, if we're if we're diving into these labor efficiency ratios and a, a company is scaling and growing, and they start to go, all right, I need a management team. Like, what's the most important thing they need to think about as they're starting to add people to this different layer of leadership? Mm-hmm. They're not in. They're not like trench workers anymore. Maybe some, but mm-hmm. what's the thing you got to think about to keep your numbers in order? Or how do you lead that the building of a management team? Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing that you look at is you've got to define, you know, what is the amount of contribution margin that I have to grow to to then expend that money for that that addition of labor. Okay. And so, and, and actually, we, we've actually, it's interesting you ask this because this is a, a concept that we, we talk about in the new book that we're using with our consulting clients now. So we put a word or a phrase around that. Yeah. When, when you add labor, 
or discretionary marketing spend to I'm spending money now. It's hitting my P&L now, but it doesn't produce all right. that I need now for it. Right. Our term for that is launch capital. So oh, cool. launch capital is our definition of money spent that hits the P&L that is really a capital expenditure that depresses – it's a utilization of profitability, and it depresses the normative operations of the current business because it's, it's not impacting it. And so what we've developed techniques for showing our clients and ourselves, here's the normative operation of the business, revenue, direct labor, operating expenses. Here's the stuff that we're making bets on. And so I'm adding this management labor position. I'm adding, I'm doing a marketing impact campaign that I don't know what the outcome is going to be, those kind of things. I'm investing in operational software to to enhance a, a, a process, and I'm paying for the coding of it. Those are things that we are isolating out of the operating structure of the business so we can see the normative part of the business. And what we found was over and over again, clients are just feeling bad about the performance of the business when they're using profitability to enhance the growth of the business. And some make good bets and some make bad bets. And so I I will tell you, all of us, whether we're CPA firms or businesses, we are running legal gambling establishments. (laughs) Absolutely. That that is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And and so in the prioritization of of proper utilization of profit, to me, the first thing that I always ask my clients to do is, what can you invest in with this profit that was just created that will help grow your business and let's establish an expectation for what that outcome is going to be, mm. uh, but and hold it accountable. And so are we good at betting or are we not? Because I want to establish a betting track record for my client of, hey, are you making good bets or bad? And let's mm. let's see if we can get better at that. And we've had some that are phenomenal. I mean, it's like if they went to Vegas, I mean, they would be winning all kinds <laughs> of money because they're really good at seeing through the mist and figuring out what's a good bet. And then when they miss, they rethink. They don't just keep putting money down thinking, hey, it'll turn, it'll turn. Mm, right. You know, and, and save your powder for a better idea. Yeah. Awesome. Jason? Yeah. Well, I, well, I, I, I would love to. No, no, no. I would love to. I know we were talking about uh, the question about forecasting and budgets. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Can we jump into that right now? Oh, yeah. that, one, that one's yeah. so yeah. good. Yeah. There's so many questions we have. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that I, one. Because because you talk about you in the you talk about how budgets I mean basically and this is a gross I will I will admit yeah. up front this is a gross simplification of me putting words in your mouth you did right. say but budgets <laughs> bad forecasting good that's the, the gross that is, oh, yes absolutely absolutely and, and I'm with you there was there's some. I think I, I want to call. I want to. My memory is saying it's a it's a group that calls themselves like beyond budgeting or something like that. That was basically like typical budgeting is is BS and it's just a it's a right. it's a system that people game to me to be able yeah. to get to like acquire more resources for their operating unit. Right. And that's kind of how budgets typically run. I will say in with my, cause I'm a CPA, but I work in industry. So the company I work in, I, I need to give my owners a budget and kind of say how we're doing, uh, right. Uh, compared to that budget this year, I actually didn't have to get my budget in till April. So I already had four months of operating <laughs> that I was able yeah. to say like that I could put into it. So we're, we're killing our budget. This <laughs> right. I want to say we're nailing it. Uh, yeah. but, but so one, so, so, I, yeah, well, well, I would say this. So one, I try to, to, to just forever ban the use of that word. 
<laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I, I do. I do not like budget. So, okay. so there's a there's a chapter in the new book. I call it value based spending: the alternative to budgeting. Mm. Okay. And, and so the idea is, as you look through the cost structure of your business, good cost spent has a certain leverage aspect to it. And so labor, so labor efficiency ratio, we've already inceded the idea of, hey, for every dollar of direct labor, if, I, if my direct LER is a three a target, hey, for every dollar I put in there, hey, how am I going to go get $3 more gross margin because of that extra dollar now that I've committed to? Mm-hmm. Management labor, hey, for every dollar management, you know, kind of the, the – there, there is a normative number for $5 million and over businesses on management labor uh, for – and this doesn't apply to CPA firms, but for other businesses, management labor would probably be about a five uh, is is what we see as a good common number, mm. um, you know, for that. So on those operating businesses, hey, if I add a hundred thousand dollar management labor position, I got to go get five hundred thousand dollars more contribution margin. Okay, wow. the contribution margin is running roughly at fifty percent of revenue. Hey, I got to go get. Uh, you know, a million dollars of revenue wow. to fund wow. that hundred thousand dollar and people just don't think that way. Wow. But and we run this, we run this uh build up methodology. I was I was at a, a speaking event yesterday and I was showing them this exact example. And I showed them uh we've got an example where we had a hundred fifty thousand dollar management labor position, say for a COO, and I showed them that in that particular it was a manufacturing business that they had to add $1.5 million of revenue just to stay at the same rate of profitability for adding $150,000 of management labor. So mm. it's a 10, 10 to 1. Wow. We, we've run that calculation a thousand times on models every call. And it's a low of 6 to a high of 10. For most businesses, the average is about an 8. But I would say a good, you know, just good rule of thumb is 10 to 1. It, from a management labor add to to what that top line revenue you know has to be. But the question is, how do you like? Let's say you're going to pull the trigger on that 150k COO. Yep. You go get the revenue first before you do it. When do you do it? And you invest and you hope to back into the revenue to justify yeah. what you did. Well, that's going to vary by business model. So, do you have the luxury of waiting to backfill labor? So, I, I, in the book, I've got a launch capital example case study with a client that their catalytic spend was not labor, it was marketing. And so they intentionally bumped their marketing spend each year, and then we held them accountable to... So here's kind of the the secret sauce. For every launch capital spend that's the catalyst, not the reactionary cost, just the catalytic choice discretionary spend... Mm. When when I when I identify what that number is, so if I if I bump marketing by a hundred thousand dollars, my minimum increase in net profit from that has to be fifty thousand dollars. I got to have a fifty percent return within twelve to twenty four months for that to be classified as a good bet. And and so in their case, it was it was marketing. And so you know they they met the fifty percent standard in a five year period. They grew their business from seven hundred thousand in revenue to ten million. In uh, five years, good Prof- profitable cash flow profit the whole way. In their case, they were fortunate that they could wait to backfill labor to support the new sales after they knew they had the sales. That's not common across every industry, and so well you know, for the accounting industry, you know. So we, we talk about in labor. So there's two two plays. I only have two plays in my labor playbook when it comes to um, labor man- direct labor management. I either sell to the labor I commit to 
or I flex my labor to what I sell to. to all right. Say that again. All right. So, say that again. I, so, I, you know, so in our case, I, I add my staff. I now know what I got to go sell to to get them to an ex, a minimum acceptable level of capacity. Okay. And then, and then there's a range between minimum capacity and running hot, and that, and that's actually, you know, when you think about labor efficiency ratio, I want to know my running hot LER, and I want to know my running not LER, and I probably want to live somewhere in between the two. Right? Okay, right. And, and, well, that and that, Jason, that's that's exactly that's that's a different way of saying what we were saying at the beginning, where it's like your labor efficiency ratio. If it's not where you want it to be, you could increase your prices. You could you could uh, you could fire people, right. or you could, uh, or you could make the people you have more efficient. And right. that's kind of, and, and you were, and Greg, you weren't saying change your prices. You were like, go sell more stuff. And that's another well, way to, I, I will tell you that you bring up a good point though. I, I have been on a change your prices warpath with every client, including ourselves, because yeah. we are in an unprecedented labor constriction. Mm, yeah. yes, if true, we yeah. are not, if we are not adjusting our prices, to a, to really recognize the value and the cost of the labor that we have to deploy to go do it, we're idiots. And then so now, granted, there's a there is a market price that the market's willing to pay, but we we are seeing significant uptick. And and so you know there are the there are the have to services, and then there are the the optional services. And so so when and, and so one of the things in, in the new book, I started off with going. We've developed what we call the three simple rules for business success. It's really simple. What what does the market need? That's the first thing I have to ask and and identify. Once I identify what the market need is, then can I do what the market needs and make a profit? Mm. But that's only step two. Step three that validates that, and this is this this aha linkage that we've now we've now been able to figure out a way. I can set a profit target authoritatively for every U.S. business. International markets are a little bit different just because of dysfunctional trade. Yep. But, but for the U.S. market, I can set a profit target for any business in any industry based on return on invested capital. So we believe that that profitability target has to be vetted against a 50% or better return on invested capital on an annual basis without, mm-hmm. without selling the business. You don't get a terminal value in that. I, I have to produce, if I deploy a million dollars of capital, my minimum profit target has to be $500,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, we've studied businesses, since our clients are all over the U.S., all different industries, we don't, we don't, we have uh, we have groups of clients in the same industry, but we don't focus on one industry. Mm-hmm. I've got this study that we run. And so we have 50 clients that we use as our data model to look at economic conditions and, and those things. And so to a certain degree, I almost feel like we have a better read on the U.S. economy than the federal. I know we have a better read. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. Yeah. yeah, Because we are dealing with real accurate data. Right. I mean, the way the Federal Reserve yeah. surveys the marketplace for privately held business is a joke. I mean, they have no data. They don't look at data, and 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 they don't even know how to interpret it because they're stuck in a public company mindset, and that's just not how the private economy works. Well, no, and private private entrepreneurs. So everything you're talking about, Greg, there is a there is a serious personal human leadership mm-hmm. part to all of this, which. Right. But so all of this sounds great, but then you run into entrepreneurs who are fearful. They have baggage, right. They're struggling with their past. They don't believe in themselves. They need courage. Blah blah blah. The list of the dif- dysfunction in all all of us, all of humans. So 
don't you have to cut through those leadership principles too and challenge them and coach them to become who they're meant to be to then lead their team to be more efficient? Well, yes, but I will say that my approach to that is I show them truthful data. And so my belief is, is once we cut through all the noise and we look at truth, truth to me is rolling 12 profitability. Mm. I mean, one of the stupidest things accounting firms do is the way they run their internal financial statements. So, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I've got peers that I share data with, and it's like they're giving me the same stupid year-to-date financial statement on based on a calendar year basis. That is the most garbage financial presentation <laughs> ever produced. So tell us I, what I, you think, Greg. Do you like I, it or do you not no, like it? I don't it? like it at all. <laughs> the standard of performance is rolling 12. You know, okay. we are a seasonal industry. And yeah. guess what? Tax season happens every year at the same stinking month. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so the idea is what is what is truth and what is performance driven is rolling 12. I get my complete, you know, so if you go to simplenumbers.me in one of the tools, I forget which one is numbered, but there's the, the complete cash flow model that we do yeah. for clients. There's a version of that out there that was a, you know, there was a sample in the book and, and there's the, the spreadsheets there with all the formulas and all the stuff. Hey, knock yourself out, use it for yourself. I get that model. Now it's, it's, it's grown and enhanced some, you know, since the original version, but yeah. it's the core is still the same. I get my model on the first day of the month. Mm. We, you know, we run a live set of books and I will tell you, I will challenge any of the accounting firms out there. Do you produce your management reporting on the first day of the month? Because mm. if you can't do that, why in the hell are you advising other people to run their books? <laughs> you know, because it's like, no. listen, you know, we, I, I had an engineer tell me that this is one of the best learning experiences I ever had in my career. He said, you know, you guys are really good at calibrating dough balls. What? <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. He, he said, you know, I said, and he, and this is an engineer who is geared to precision. He said, listen, I understand. The counting is just a grid. It's just a matrix. Yeah. I'd rather have good data fast than, than you know, dough ball calibrated data late. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and so our, our old write-up practices, oh, gosh. I mean, just don't even get me started on I that. I know. That's rough yeah. stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there again, it, you know, it's a, it, the thing is, is what we've seen in terms of this that has just made, you know, clients beat a path through our door uh, is the fact is this cohesive picture of what we do is lead first with consulting. And oh, by the way, now and so that that's you only get through our front door if you do consulting with us. Yep. And then if you want us to deal with taxes, we'll we've got a process to review your tax structure, you know, prepare returns. You know, but <clears throat> but that's usually the second piece. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then the third piece that we had a huge uptake is our accounting solutions team. And and that's been huge. And so, you know, and and that accounting solutions team. What they're able to do is go in, fix processes, speed up things, mm, speed up reporting uh, of financial. Speed up reporting. But one of the the unique things that we've done is also is when the client understands this, we say we're going to turn the model quickly. So when the first day of the month hits, we're going to grab your data, put it in the model, and we understand that there may be a little tweak here or there that once we formally close the books. Somewhere across the next, you know, fifteen to twenty days, the, any adjustments there they just fall into the month that they were discovered. Okay, but yeah, it, but it's about 
So what I've done is got my traditional accountants thinking differently of going, your control function is not about perfecting something that is 30 to 60 days ago. It is just continual perfection month to month to month. And we find things and fix things and account for them. Because when I'm really focused on rolling 12 and rolling three data far more than I ever consider a month as important information, then I have the luxury of allowing that process to work that way. And oh, by the way, there's things that we find from a consulting picture of the data that you'll never find from being down in the weeds doing debits and credits. Yeah, okay. So you, you've, you're turning your team away from traditional targets of reconcile that really well. And you're saying, right. push it in the model. It'll fall out in a 12 rolling month. It, right. it, it all falls out. Yep. What we're trying to do is give the entrepreneur something now, right. fast. And all right. it's doing is probably high-level, big picture. Right. Yeah. Um, so, th- so if office supplies got coded wrong, nobody gives a crap. That's right. Exactly. You know, and, and as I always say, hey, all your dead bodies are on the balance sheet. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really just keep the balance sheet clean, but don't hold up good knowledge and information. Some of our highest performing clients, we have on weekly rhythms to where they're basically pulling revenue, direct cost, direct labor every week. And they're building this, this engine production grid. So basically, they can monitor labor efficiency ratio rolling 52-week, rolling 13-week, oh, rolling four-week. Hmm. You know, and, and boy, those, those are power tools. But, yeah. but now you have to get your client operating in a different way. Don't you have to challenge them to be like, they're slow, they're inefficient. You got to get yeah. their systems moving to keep pace with you guys. So, so here's oh. the trick to that. So my entry point almost... 95% of the time is through the CEO. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not going to the accounting person. Yeah. I'm going the CEO is saying where is my data to make decisions from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so then I get I get buy in from that group of saying, "Hey, that one and here's kind of the secret sauce. Once once we do every new client starts with a planning session. <laughs> and so it's a it's a full day event. Uh, if it's done either at our office or we go to them, it's a two two hour screen share session. If we do a remote version of it, but that's a deep dive, and they and they pay us a. Re- I mean, we we're profitable on that event on a standalone basis, mm-hmm. even if they don't go forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes we learn enough about them that we don't want to go for it. That's right. So so it's a good deal. Just make sure you get paid before you do it. You know, so that's <laughs> right. That's really kind of the key. But once we get deep really fast, what we can do in that planning session is we're really good with working with bad data. That, that's, that's one of our best skill sets. Hmm. And we can do a one-off version of here's the picture of what you can see. Now, the effort that we had to do to create that view is not something you want to repeat on a monthly basis. So here is the prescription of fixing the system from this point forward so that right. it can be repeated. I, you know, if you try to say, hey, I got to do a cleanup project before we can do any analysis, you're never going to do a lot of consulting mm-hmm. because the, the vast majority, I'd say 80, 90% of the clients that we inboard, they're, they're, most people would have tried to sell them an accounting fix-up project. And, and the, the, the CEO is going, where is my information? I don't feel good about this. I'm paying all this money. I don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And so when you show them their data, and, you know, it, it's a controlled data set. I mean, you know, if, if it's in, if, if you have to move it from one bucket to the other, I mean, you know, it, it's a contained system, mm-hmm. you know, so 
So really, they they get confidence that hey, I you know if you say that number's wrong, tell me where it goes because it, it's a closed system, mm. right? And, and, and so it's got to so move it around. Yeah, yeah and, and we we can do. Our guys are really good about kind of working on the fly. So I would say that here's the other thing: as an industry, we've got to get better at working live in front of the client. Mm. And when we when we're on calls with clients, when we're in planning sessions, I mean, we are they are seeing our ability to manipulate the data and keep it in a controlled setting live in front of them. Hmm. And and if you if you can't handle the stress of that, don't do consulting hmm. uh, because that that's really you've got to be able to do that because you can't say, hey, you know, we'll uh, we'll get back to you on that, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and like. Mm, that that's that's not going to build credibility Mm. right well you can and you can it's it's kind of the idea of demonstrating your value right there in front of people because so often they don't have a clue of what we're what we do to begin with and if you can go no this is this is the this is the magic powers that we have ta-da then they'll be that yeah on board they got more buy-in but the benefit, and like I said, I mean, this is all in the book. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's there that if, if anybody really looks at it and buys into it, you know, we try to do consulting as a profession as kind of a one-off. And, and consulting are things like, uh, you know, you do R&D tax credits or you yep. do uh, business valuations. And, and it's like the problem with people in the CPA world it, adopting consulting is they don't have a methodology. So we've created the simple numbers methodology which is essentially once you get the magic is getting the client's data in our structure. Once I get it in that structure, the simple numbers PL model, and now the trade, now the capital model that, that goes with it that we yeah. do. I mean, you're working with power tools because then I yeah. can I can segregate here's your business engine and not only segregate it from the complete company standpoint, as they get bigger companies, you got divisions or segment or what we call the profit cube. You know, so I want to be able to look at that revenue down to contribution margin by company total, by location, by department, by line of business, whatever I can tag and, and correctly attach revenue cogs and direct labor to, that is such a huge understanding of going, where's the leak at? Yeah. And and it's not about creating a complete PL by each of those segments. It's about really first and foremost just down to contribution margin. As you evolve as a business and have truly separate operating units, yeah, you can create a complete PL, but you always come back to some amount of fixed corporate overhead that has to be covered by the net operating activity of all the different things that you do. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more businesses. I mean, probably the biggest advancement we've had in the last five years is our segment analysis capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like in my business. So I have four segments. We do consulting, we do tax, we do opinion financials, we do accounting solutions. Mm-hmm. So I know labor efficiency by team. I know uh, labor efficiency uh, uh, by client. I know labor efficiency by person. Wow. Okay. So that, that more detail that you're able to segment out just gives you the power tools are just getting more granular. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But the key is organizing the data to tag it and then report on it. And then as I report on it, rolling 12 is the highest form of truth. Rolling three is next and monthly is next. And always look at monthly last. There there is actually some great behavioral economic studies about the distortion. If you look at monthly data first, you can't ever get your mind off of that month. 
Mm. And so you must start with our, when we do our, our models and show a PL structure, we always look at rolling 12 year over year comparison first and then trend last three months, rolling 12 next. Then we go to rolling threes. Then we go to monthly. Month is the last thing we look at. Okay. So you're anchoring the client, so to speak, with the 12 month first. So they see, and what we, what we teach our team is always, you know, the, the solutions to a client's problems are are rarely found in the details. You got to go high level. You got to always take that client back up in the clouds because clients want to dive in. They want to get into the pool of numbers and you're like, get back up and look at everything, you know, I don't know. Do you minimize your P and Ls? We we make them smaller so they just don't look as look at as well. I mean, you know, so we roll it up to the the simple numbers model is really eight lines of data, mm. and so it's revenue, direct cost, direct labor is the engine section. The rest are subtotals, and then you got five buckets of operating expenses of facilities, marketing, management, labor, payroll, taxes, and benefits, and then other opex is the catch all bucket. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and when I teach, right. That's all you need. I mean, and (laughs) and those are, I will say that, you know, I mean, you know, it, it was just kind of fortuitous that it kind of dropped out that way when I first did did the first data combination of of multiple clients, but that's really proven to be a really robust bucketing system of operating expenses because there is no consistency across the, the industry. You know, we call it overhead selling expenses, um, you know, GNA, uh, right. I, you know, we got all these crazy titles. And so what I'm striving for is to create, let simple numbers be the definitive definition of, of mm-hmm. good financial analysis for every industry, for every industry. I mean, we have not seen Service, construction. It, it works for all of them. Okay. And, 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 and the key thing was, was in that beginning of understanding the separation of non-labor cogs from direct labor. Mm-hmm. So many of our clients had mixed those two things together, and they cannot see which piece is failing in that yeah. process. Right. Okay. And the economy is getting more efficient. The, you know, back when people didn't have as much data, it was easy for you to mark up pass through stuff of subs or, or materials. Mm. I, I, you know, w- when Mike Builder was building my house, I could have bought the materials at equal to or even better than he did. He mm. bought them from the guy who 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 responded at the last minute, you know, for his lack of planning. Right. <laughs> and and so so the idea is, you know, I, I don't I don't need to pay you a markup on the equipment other than the handling cost of what it took for you to scope it and, and organize it. But I, I'm not paying you a 20% markup or that, you know, and so the government contracting industry has a pretty good concept called material handling or mm-hmm. subhandling pools where you, you identify what is the appropriate amount of value you know, to add to that pass-through cost. But short of that, really any margin, you might mark up materials as a pricing technique, but that's not a value technique. You didn't add that much value to those materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. the market's becoming more efficient in that consumers can get the same things corporations right. can get right. at the same speed. And so the value's been minimized and it's lost now in our market. And so you have to add value up the chain in a new right. way. You know, if if you if you really get harsh, there's only service value in the whole economy. There's stuff, but right. but there is there is a service element to stuff, and and so in, in the new book I, I break it down and and I show this concept. I, I say, listen, at the end of the day, there's only three business models that exist. You you either make stuff, you sell stuff, or you do stuff. Mm. That's it. You might do a combo of the three. But understand the dynamics of well, here's what making stuff looks like. 
And here's what that PL structure looks like in, in terms of ratios, but the structure is the same. Yeah. The structure of a sales organization, a distributor, you know, low margin, you know, and, and so they got to turn those things over. And then here's a service model. And so when I was doing this class yesterday, I showed them those and, and you know, and they're looking at these, you know, the, the manufacturing business had a 15% or, or yeah, they had a 15% profit to revenue, but they had a 20, uh, 22 percent uh profit to gross margin the the mm -hmm. sales uh, the distributor had a three percent profit to sales but a 23 uh, percent profit to gross margin and the services business was about ten and a half to both because they didn't really have any cogs yeah and and I said which business do you want to be in and I just throw it out to the group and everybody kind of eh, you know and they, they'll all, you know they said oh well you know I'd already clued them in that looking at profit to gross margin was really kind of the yeah. indicators they picked that one and says, well, to be quite honest, I ain't giving you all the facts. And I said, you can't tell which one of these – it's not about the profitability unless you look at the capital structure of what you need. So, uh, Greg, obviously, you know, profitability – we, we know this. We're all accountants. Right. Know that profitability is a whole lot different than what your actual cash flows is, uh, right. what your cash flows are. You've got to make sure they're both very important. You talk about how you know your your profit is your your leading indicator, your cash flow is your lagging indicator, all those sorts of things. But everybody's interested in knowing where you know where is the cash coming from and where did the cash go. Right. And you talk about a a where did your cash go equation. Uh, and just what what is that, and why do we need it? How's it going to help me? Yeah, and, and and so you know, in a simplistic standpoint, I'm I'm trying to avoid getting people caught up into the cash flow statement uh, mm -hmm. mindset because it's really more so profit utilization is is what I'm trying to get them to think of. Mm -hmm. uh, now there is a refinement to come back and and look at this concept that I talked about in the podcast called trade capital. Uh, if, if those, that is one key change, but here's the way I, I, I tell, tell our guys, I said, listen, you know, the first thing is, is once you're profitable, let's go, I, I used to call it in the first book, I call it the four forces of cash flow. Mm. Um, I now refer to it as the five forces because I really, in, in studying it over the years, I'd combined a couple of things in one of the items, and I now want to bring it back up to the top and make it a, a point of influence. And so the first thing that I'll say, once you're profitable, the first decision I want you to make is, what can I spend money on that will give me a 50% or better return on investment within 12 to 24 months? Hmm. That's my first decision. So that's that launch capital utilization of profit that we talked about because there's two things about it. One, I can get a better return and make more money. Two, it's usually tax deductible. Now, I never, ever, ever want to spend a dollar to save 40 cents in tax. That's the dumbest right. thing invented in the tax mindset. You know, right. but, but when I can spend a dollar and, and the losses are deductible until that, that expense turns positive, mm. you know, within a 12 month period, Hey, I've got some coverage and, and it's going to make, ca it makes cash flow even better. So that's decision one. Okay. And that's, that's the new one that's at the top of the list because I have to make that decision first before I then do the next one. Step two is how much have I incurred in taxable implications with profitability year to date so far minus what have I already paid in? That number needs to be set aside and taken out of my operating cash, and I have to know what is not my money. 
Mm. And that is the biggest weakness. That was the first thing that the entrepreneurs in my EO group told me that we stunk at as a profession. <laughs> and, and so that that's the important one. The, after I set aside the taxes, wait, wait, hold on. Before we get too far from that, be, are you saying because your entrepreneurs like I get I get reamed with this huge tax bill and I didn't st- yeah. I didn't squirrel away money for it? Where were you, CPA firm? Is that kind of the exactly? Oh, okay. oh yeah, we were busy filing tax returns. Listen, the, this, <laughs> we're at the you know when we're recording this, this is uh, you know towards the end of end of August. You know what uh, my you know what my tax team's working on right now instead of finishing the the nine fifteen corporate tax returns. Uh, they're, 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 I know they're fantasy football teams. No, no. Okay. Believe it or not, they're actually doing estimated tax management for twenty nineteen based on what you've earned through August to tell the clients well before September fifteenth mm. what's your third quarter estimate. Right. Mm. Cool. They're awesome. they're now. Our consulting team supports that to a certain degree, but the tax person does the final calculation, and yeah. then and then they're going to be through all of those here, um, you know, this week, and then the you know they're then on the hard final charge to finish up all those corporate returns, yeah. and and as a group, time after time, these entrepreneurs say, you know, that's what they were wanting, but the 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 tax people just went dark while they were preparing returns, and it's yeah. like. You know, you you just got to work your way around that. So anyway, so, so I gotta, I gotta be telling them they don't want the April 15th surprise or even worse case, the October 15th surprise. Right. So, so that number is, is now second. Yeah. The third thing is of the cash that I now have left over, do I have any line of credit debt? Mm. And if I do, all right, slug it against there. Right. And 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 so if the line of credit once the line of credit's gone, if I still have cash left over, do I have two months of operating expenses? Mm. And if if I don't, you're on a distribution diet, and and I'm sorry, oh. you know, keep your hands out of the cookie jar. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Mister Owner, you know, you're 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 acting badly. And so until we hit the two month core capital target, boom, you know, then then the fourth step is then I can take distributions. Mm-hmm. So when I show them the where did the cash go. You know, I start with profitability and then I say, well, what did you do with that profit? And here, you know, so I can show them, here's your launch capital stuff that you spent. Okay, I understand that. Here is, uh, here is where, you know, we set aside money for taxes and here is, you know, here's what you took out in distributions and here's the change in cash, you know, at, yeah. at the end of the day. Now, mm-hmm. there is a third piece. If you have changes in trade capital because of growth, you know, I got to throw that piece in there. But really... What the real thing that they're asking is, are they being the, the, the party that's sucking out, you know, all of, all of those items? And so don't try to take the accountant's view of the cash flow statement. Take a practical, simplistic view of saying, hey, here's changes in trade capital. I bought some equipment, maybe, you know, I, I, I took distributions, I took taxes, and here's, here's, here's the big buckets. Yeah. And, and and let them see the truth and make start to make their own decisions right. and you help them with making those. So that's right. And and what you're doing is showing them so that the statement of cash flows is not really designed to look at uh, as a moving picture across time. So what you have to do is some presentations of, you know, year to date, you know, here here's where we stand. In our cash flow models on our model, we actually do rolling twelve pictures of here's your here's your distributions over a rolling 12 period. One of the things that we've actually started doing, I will, I will say as a nugget of, of learning too, is try it, try to make a distinction between uh, t- 
tax distributions versus profit distributions. Mm. And that, that's, that's been a big help as we've identified. So when I tell them to take a tax distribution, hey, don't spend this for anything other than sending to your tax account or to, to mm. send off to the IRS right. or the state. And then when I give you a profit distribution, go do whatever you want to with it because it, we, we've taken care of the other stuff. Yeah. Well, right. this is good. All right, Greg, anything else? I, I think we got, we got think- so much stuff. So, so much, so much to digest. Greg, Greg, thank you so much for, for breaking that all open. It, it feels like we're s- stealing trade secrets from you. Oh, we're in a very public. Matter. It's all, it's all going to be in the book. So you okay. know, it's going to be, it's going to be in the public domain. I didn't, okay. I didn't tell you anything. It's not in the book. So. Okay. Very <laughs> but cool. still, thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks for giving us the, the secret, uh, the secret sauce yep. for all the different, uh, Uh, for Coke Zero as well as Classic. (laughs) All right. Right Right on. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg, for being with us. All right, thanks. Okay, my hair is blown back. Yeah, that was... Okay. Wow. So much to process. And that's that's the thing. I think there's so much that people can grab out of that and apply immediately, but I think everybody's also feeling a little bit challenged. It's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta up my game because Greg knows how to do this stuff. And, yes. and I think if you're going into coaching and advisory, he's, he's the guy that four minute mile thing. He's the guy you want to try to be keeping pace with That's figure right. stuff, get his book, listen to his stuff, figure out how to apply it to your clients. You'll be, you'll be killing it. Um, got a couple quick announcements. Yeah, we're out. Those include <laughs> Chase. What were we gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> we're doing so my monthly live chat that I do. With That's people. one of them <laughs> uh, about thrival. And you know this, there was so much content in this podcast. Episode. The podcast is a little bit. It's it's longer than normal, so we apologize for that. But oh come on, no, you're welcome, listener, for yeah, all you're the welcome. Extra. That you got for free. That's right. <laughs> uh, so there's a monthly live chat. There's a link in the show notes if you want to just find out what Thrival's about and and how we bring people like Greg Crabtree. Yeah, these shows. I mean, that his books are amazing. So I can't wait for his second book to come yeah. out. And if you've got, and I think we'll just leave it at this. If you've got any other questions or, or info you need, uh, send an email to info at thrival.com. If you want to submit a question for Jason's Facebook Live that he does every Monday, send it to info at thrival.com. There's also a lot of info that we put into the show notes. So go to thrival.com, click on the podcast. You'll see the show notes and all the links on there. So, uh, and Jason, if people want to find you, is Twitter still the, the, your preferred method? Let's do it. Jason M. Blummer or Thrival CPAs on Twitter. How do people find you it's greg kite at greg kite on on twitter that's a that's an awesome way to do it okay uh, amazing stuff so much so much content so much pretty sweet uh secret stash too for december no and, uh, that sign up though. sign up for the 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 uh growth guide sign up for deeper weekend and we'll see you guys next month okay we'll see you we'll try to blow your hair back next month too yeah bye-bye bye bye